The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Uh, yeah, it's always fun to uh, follow Tada Deb. Um, not a not a hard task at all, but um, but I'm excited about. Uh, being here this morning. I've been gone for the last nine days. Uh, Michael Davis and I had meetings in Denver, and you said, yeah, right, meetings in Denver. Uh, Unfortunately, we really had meetings in Denver. Uh, We were in hotel rooms and uh, hotel conference rooms and uh, got out a little bit. We did escape the humidity, uh, which we thank God for, But, uh, but it's good to be back uh, actually, Michael is still in Denver um, and spend some time with his family and will be back uh, the middle of this coming week. Um, also, I want you to know I was in my hotel room. I was in the Hilton in downtown Denver watching the, um, the live stream, and I, was, I, I told the staff I was hollering at the Hilton. Uh, man, it was so encouraging just to worship with you and to see uh, the, uh, just the zeal and, and um, to hear God's Word preached with such power and clarity. Uh, it was a, and, and also to have Josh leading communion, and it was just, it fed my soul. Uh, it was an incredible week, and uh, thank you for all that, that made that happen. Um, and thank you to uh, Sister Christmas this morning for jumping in. Uh, Adriana found out at about uh, 8.30 this morning that she'd been exposed to someone that uh, had a fever, and she said, what should I do? And I said, you should watch from your couch this morning. <laughs> and uh, uh, I said, do you have anybody that can lead? She said, I think my mother can do it, and uh, you, you definitely stepped up to the plate. So thank you so much. And, um, and this is just the, the times we're in. Uh, unfortunately. Everybody's having to step up and, and do what they can um, in the midst of this pandemic. Um, let's look at a few announcements. We're excited about um, next Sunday because Sunday school is starting back. And uh, yeah, um, we are excited about the children's Sunday school. We're excited about adult Sunday school. And, um, and we're in adult Sunday school, we're, we're continuing this, this whole theme of Silent Solitude and Sabbath, and we're going to march through the Psalms and see how the Psalms call us into silent solitude, Sabbath, prayer, meditation, uh, the spiritual disciplines of connecting with God as a way of life. And I'm excited. Uh, A number of uh, our members will be leading it, and uh, I just encourage you to show up. Um, next Sunday morning. Also, there are Sunday school classes for our children and our youth. Um, We do ask that you register if you are bringing children next week. Um, You can go on the Realm, or you can look at your email that you should have received Friday, or you can reach out to Rebecca at downtownchurch.com. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A at downtownchurch.com to register your children primarily so that we'll know we'll have enough volunteers. So we literally have no idea how many are coming uh, to Sunday school next week. So we need to make sure that we're fully staffed. If you would like to uh, be a helper and, and a volunteer in Sunday school, you can reach out to Rebecca as well. Also, next Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a congregational meeting right here. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting updates, and uh, we hope to um, 
uh, to put forth the vision of the church going forward next Sunday, and we hope that you will show up at 5 o'clock. I think the rest of the announcements are pretty clear. Oh, one other announcement, and I'll try to remember this at the end, but since it's on my mind, we are changing a little bit how we get out of the building. Um, We are going to be going through the hallway to exit and not these doors because this is how our uh, set up and take down crew, get the chairs out and the stage and everything to the trailer over here, and we just kind of get in their way when we go out that door. So let's, we can go through the hallway now and exit that way. Let's go now to Mark chapter 14, and I'll read verses 32 through 42. We're ending our sermon series on rest, uh, but as I said, we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep the whole concept of rest and solitude and meditation moving forward in our Sunday school because we believe that uh, it's just that important. And in fact, we're going to take a mini retreat the afternoon of October 3rd. You're going to be hearing more about that, but we're going to take a silent retreat um, right after church from about noon lunchtime till 8 o'clock at night. So we'll kick it off with lunch, we'll end it with dinner, and we're really excited. We're going to St. Columbo or Columba, uh, however you say it, um, retreat center, and uh, we'll have a registration soon. I think we can only take 30, but we're hoping that to build that into the rhythm of downtown church where we are getting off. So if you don't get it on the first time, we'll have another one in a, a couple months after that, or uh, if one spouse wants to let the other spouse go while you watch children, however you want to do it, uh, we're excited about that. We're really building this into the fabric of who we are at downtown church, and Um, I'm really, really excited and encouraged by it. So uh, let's look now at Mark chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse 32. It's the very Word of God. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the very Word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we thank You that you are a God that is present with your people. We thank you that you are a God that we can sing with great gladness and joy to. 
In fact, you're the only God of any religion that, that you command your people to shout out of joy and gladness of your goodness, to sing to you psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to, to come out of gratitude and love and the freedom liberated by the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray this morning that your presence in this place would be palpable by your Spirit, that your Word would pierce our hearts, would change our thoughts, would, would therefore move us in a different direction, not trying harder, but training differently. Oh God, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would be among us, that you would give us a, a longing for something different. Lord, I pray that you would be with the most hopeless in this room, that, oh God, they might sense just an existential, the existential reality of your presence that would change them because you are the God who doesn't know about love but is love. Enfold our wounded hearts, O oh God. Enfold our skeptical minds. Enfold our trauma-ridden bodies and emotions with your love. By the power of your presence, O oh God, would you come. May we hear those beautiful words this is my daughter, this is my son, and with she or he I am well pleased. Oh God, come, speak through your word. With great anticipation we wait, for we pray in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So, Peter, James, and John blew it. <laughs> There's just no other way to say it. They absolutely blew it. I mean, was there a more critical moment in the history of the world? <laughs> was there a more, a more pertinent time to be of your senses? But, and we've all been there. Peter, James, and John, their eyes were so heavy, they literally couldn't stay awake. And we know what happened. Like a sand wall, they crumbled in the, in the midst of, of fear, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of just the, the disillusionment of the moment. But in great contrast, Jesus, in the midst of being betrayed by his friends on earth, in the midst of having them turn their back on him, he walks forward in humility and dependence upon the Father, and he wins the salvation of his people. What was the difference? We see it. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Jesus in the midst of, he could, he could be fretting, he could be surfing his phone, he could be looking at Facebook and seeing all the, the, <laughs> the theories of who he is or all the things that could possibly happen, and yet he blocked out everything and he said, what I need most in this moment is to commune with my Father. And friends, communing with his Father sent him in a radically different direction than the disciples who refused to commune with the Father in that moment. And friends, there is a practical and life-changing 
message to be learned in this. And the first thing that we need to understand is that communion with God empowers faithfulness. Communion with God empowers faithfulness. If Peter, James, and John, the other disciples, simply would have walked with Jesus, if they would have gone on their knees, if they would have sought God's face, maybe the outcome would have been different. And yet they chose sleep over prayer and communing with the Father. Um, We probably all uh, have been aware that mindfulness is kind of the new thing um, in our culture. Uh, mindfulness is, is, is being sold. There are so many apps, mindfulness apps and so forth. John Zabit Zinn is one of the primary uh, leaders of the movement and informers of the movement. He uh, has his own app. He's written several books. Uh, one's called Falling Awake, The Healing Power of Mindfulness. Another is Mindfulness for All, The Wisdom to Transform the World. Um, I looked at uh, some of the Um, descriptions of his works this week, and they promise um, deep satisfaction and even, it says, ultimately liberation. But here's the difference. it's, it's, It's attractive because it is calling us to silence and solitude. It's calling us to mindfulness, which is to be present in the moment. And you can do that, and there's a sense. It's much better than, than being present in the future because what most of us do is we start fretting. The reason we're so full of anxiety and worry is because we start projecting what the future, a negative uh, uh, prophetic um, idea or thought about the future. Oh, this pandemic. Oh, if I go in the hospital, then I'm, they're going to, you know, if I call, nobody's, an ambulance is not going to be able to come, and then I can't even see a doctor at the hospital. Then I'm going to be out in some field hospital in the parking garage, and, and all of a sudden you're so worked up you can barely even function. And so mindfulness centers us. No, don't get beyond the moment. Get right here. It's, it's a, what seems like a healthy practice, and it is. But the Christian idea, what we've been talking about, is radically different. Why? Because Christian mindfulness is not practicing the present, it is practicing the presence of God. It is literally experiencing the reality that I'm communing with the God of heaven and earth, the one who spoke this world into being the one who fashioned Adam's body out of the dirt, the one who breathed life into his body, the one who removed a rib from Adam's side and formed the woman, the one who created the galaxies and the stars, the one who controls every breath, the one who is working all things for good for those who love Jesus, the one who sent his own son and sacrificed himself for us to buy us, to redeem us to himself, It is to be present with the God who is love. Paul commands us, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. What is your future? That is your future. You want to think about the future? Think on that. That's what Paul says. Again, in Philippians 4, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, there is a love that we can get lost in its power, and His name is Jesus. There is, a, there is hope that we can lose ourselves in, and He is present for you and me practicing the presence of God, devoting ourselves to silence and solitude, Scripture and surrender, is reordering our minds and hearts around God's love. Mark Sayers, in his book, Disappearing Church, pins point kind of the God of our age, and it is love. But I would say it's a small L love. (laughs) It's not the kind of love that we're talking about. It's a small L love. It's not a my life for yours love. It's a your life for mine. It's a love that that says just as long as you leave me alone so I can be uh, freed up and, um, you know, um, um, just freed up to find who I am. To, to find my life purpose. Just leave me alone. Let's all leave each, each other alone as we go out and seek our own truth. Peter Lawler calls this an easygoing, sentimental, nice culture. It's what Alan Bloom called nihilism without the abyss. I've been thinking about that for a, several weeks now. Nihilism without the abyss. It's this whole idea that we surround ourselves with, with beauty and, and nice things and um, kind of a feng shui life, and, and we know that there's no meaning, but that's okay. That's what Sayer says. This is a culture in which we believe that ultimately life is meaningless, but we are insulated from the full horror of such a belief by the distracting and anesthetizing qualities of our public culture. Our existential angst is drowned out by cooking shows, discount airfares, smartphones, and celebrity gossip. And here's what scares me. It's not that necessarily that everybody's leaving the church, but but most of us in the church have adopted this mindset. We are still operating under this, and uh, Thomas Burgler said this, even if they like church, such Christians are tempted to see it as a tool to personal fulfillment. So we come to church trying to find fulfillment in, in, in what is being said and what is being done. But the church was never meant to serve that need of personal fulfillment. The church is to be a community of men and women who are finding their fulfillment in God. And not as a concept, but as a reality. That literally, what this is about is literally experiencing the presence of God in our midst and practicing that presence throughout the week. It's filling our days not with devotionals in the morning that we can check it off the list, but starting the day in the presence of God and never leaving it until we're asleep at night. It's being cognizant of His presence, understanding how desperately needy we are for His love, for His truth, for His power, for His wisdom, for His presence as we relate to one another and we live in this fallen world. 
That's what the church is about, is there's a community of people who are experiencing the love of God, letting Him shape us, not us shape Him. It's seeking His glory in our lives, attempting to live very much in His presence. And when we do this, there is faithfulness. When we don't do this, there is unfaithfulness. Sayer speaks of the idol of replacing true God encounter with self-creation in this beautiful world. He writes, in the beautiful world, there's a point in which many realize that while their hip and fantastic church may offer them opportunities to engage in justice projects, a life group that meets for community and meal at the pub, and digestible life advice, they can leave the church and find similar opportunities. The kicker is that you can still enjoy all of this while ditching the biblical prohibitions on sex or having to measure up to the limitations of biblical holiness or the commitments of credo Christian community. If you still want to keep your sneaker toe in the Christian camp, no problem. Just pick up a book or subscribe to that podcast by a progressive Christian author who will reassure you that you can still be a Christian while not getting too stressed about sex or Scripture or going to church. In an increasingly world-focused evangelical church, what looks like leaving faith or church to the actual... Uh, let me read that again. In an increasingly world-focused evangelical church, what looks like leaving faith or church to the actual... Um, Leavers simply seems like a small shimmy to the left in which the beautiful world promises that, uh, promises what you can, that you can have it all. Do you see what he's saying? Here's, here's the reality. If, you, if we are coming to church and we are not encountering God in our lives, then why are we doing this? That's what our culture is, is finding. It, it, I can go to a concert and get better entertainment. I can go to the cinema and get better entertainment. If that's what I'm looking for, I can read books, I can listen to podcasts, I can find my community somewhere else. If, not, if the church is not giving me something divine, if I'm not experiencing the reality of transformation in the presence of God, if that's not what this community is about, then I don't need it, and you're right. So, friends, that is what is at stake. And, and the reality that the church has lost so much of, of our faithfulness is just a testimony that we've lost our communion with the Father, as evidenced by Peter, James, and John. Secondly, communion with the Father doesn't just fuel um, faithfulness, personal faithfulness. Communion with God also empowers love. Jesus was betrayed. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you been betrayed? Think about somebody that's betrayed you. What does that do to your soul? I talk to a lot of pastors. I coach several church planters. And one of the primary things that I deal with is the effect of betrayal of relationships within the church. It happens everywhere, but that's just my context. And if you ask a, a Christian pastor, it really any Christian pastor, the worst hurt has come from people inside the church. And that forms um, pastors and it forms us as believers in a different direction or it has the power to. And yet when I come to Jesus in the midst of his betrayal, 
what I see is love. Now, on one hand, he's fully God. Well, of course he's responding to love. No, we've got to look beyond that. He's also fully human. We, we need to be, we need to be, it should shock us that in the midst of the betrayal of Peter, James, and John, he is not calling down fire on them, but what is he doing? He is loving them. He is loving them. He is loving them to the end. Everything that he's done is for them. He is loving his disciples to the very end. And that is radical. We see it even when he's on the cross. He looks down at, at, at those that have, that have nailed him to the cross. And what does he say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. How in the world can we stay full of love at the height of utter betrayal? It is communion with the Father. But what we see is that the purpose of communion with the Father is not, pers- not just personal fulfillment, but divine neighborly love. The, hear me. The reason that we should commune with the Father is not just so that we can experience the love of the Father and then go about our business, but so that we can experience the love of the Father and, and, and express that love and let that love overflow to our neighbor, to those in our household, to those in our neighborhood, to those at the workplace. What we need today is an army of believers who are experiencing the love of God to the point that it is pouring out on those around them. If that were the testimony of the church, I think more people would, know to, would want to know about the Jesus that we say we follow. And, and what is the nature of God's love? Romans 5 eight. God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How hard is it to love your neighbor? How hard is it to love your enemy? That is what we're called to. And friends, um, to try to love those that have hurt us without the love of God is going to end in disaster. <laughs> you will be burned out. And you think you're giving up on God, but what you're really giving up on is your own self-effort to try to do what God's commanded you to do without the power of God and His love within you. And so, let me just tell you how um, how I think that it's just such a crisis in the church. This past week, Michael and I were part of a church planning assessment center. And what that means is we were assessing um, seven couples and one single man as potential church planners. And we get deep in their lives. We look at their marriages, we look at uh, their personalities, we um, ask them the hardest questions you, you can ask, we put them through the ringer. And I, was, what, and I spoke to each one of these candidates really in depth and in, in, in midst of um, very vulnerable conversations. And what I found, this repeating theme, was that few, if any, truly experienced personally the love of God. In fact, one of them who has deep trauma in his childhood, which um, practically everyone does these days, um, he, he admitted, the more I kept prodding, the more I kept poking, he admitted to using church planting so he didn't have to deal with the trauma of his youth. Using planting a church so we didn't have to be vulnerable to God 
and let God into the broken places of his life. If that's the state of the ministers, uh, <laughs> the state of the church is, is and, and believe me, I get it, because my wounds were exactly his wounds. I was weeping with this young man. I wasn't sitting in judgment. I was literally weeping with this young man, because I get it, and I did that myself for so long, I, I, refusing, literally looking down on those people that would go to counseling and needed a counselor to help them look at and deal with their childhood stuff. Come on. Um, so I was literally with him, but I was able, because I've been there and done that, and I know the powerlessness and the loneliness and the isolation of that. I literally was witnessing to this young man, saying, oh, dear friend, you've got to stop. <laughs> you've got to stop because there's an ocean of God's love for you, and all you have to do is stop running and just fall in. There is an ocean of acceptance an ocean of forgiveness, an ocean of healing that can touch those broken wounds in your heart, that can touch those broken places and make you whole as you go forward in ministry. Would you fall into the loving arms of a Savior who is right here in this room in our presence, right here between both of us? Would you fall into His love? Do you need to hear that today? Is that what you need to hear? I promise you it is. You don't necessarily need to hear the law of God. You're probably doing okay with guilt and shame. But what you need to hear, the hardest thing to believe is that God can love you. This guy can preach the love of God to other people better than anybody else at that assessment center. But he could not believe it for himself. Can you? Can you believe the love of God that God is delighting in you right now in this moment? If not, what else does God have to do? What else does He have to give you? What does He have to prove? And your shame is telling you you're not worth it, right? You're not worth it. Oh, but you are worth it. Jesus says you are. Because in this moment, that's what he was telling Peter, James, and John. You are worth it. Even though you're sleeping, you can't even pray for me. You can't even be a friend to me right now. And you're not the ones having to face what I'm about to face. Dear friends, has the love of God become real in your life? The Lord Jesus has done it all. He's obeyed the law in your place. Do you know what that means? It means literally everything he's asked you to do, that the standard that he set, he's already fulfilled it for you. Every other religion says, here's the bar jump. You've heard me say this so many times, but maybe you'll believe it this morning. I pray you will. Every other religion, every other God says, here's the bar jump. This is how pretty you got to be. Now try to be pretty. This is, this is how thin you need to be, now try to be thin. This is how fit you need to be, now try to be fit. This is what you need to achieve and how much money you need to make, now try to go do it. Every other God is riding your back. Every other God is driving, driving, driving you into the ground. And yet our God says, be still and know that I am God. 
Our God says, come to me, all you who are weary, weary, well, they're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is not a Jesus. He's no good to you as a concept. He's only good to you as a reality. Can you believe the reality? Richard, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. You don't know what I've done. (laughs) You know a lot of it, but you don't know the half of it. But you know this morning the Father is dancing over me with joy. How do I know that? Because Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. If that is not your life this morning, what are you believing? It is a fallacy, it is a lie, and it will drive you into the ground. There's a crisis of love in the church, but why is that? It's because none of us are personally, existentially experiencing the love of God throughout each day. Here's the question I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself. I was with a, a partner um, in that assessment room, and this is the question that she directed toward this young man um, and his wife. She said, ask yourself throughout the day, am I experiencing the love of God right now? Not am I believing it as some concept for other people. Am I experiencing the reality that God loves me right now based on the finished work of Jesus Christ? Not did you do your devotional this morning? Not did you get your to-do list done? Not how's your diet going? Have you experienced the love of God? Have you experienced His grace right now in this moment, in this day? Dear friend, if not then why are you playing this Christian game? It's, it's like making the finest feast on the planet and then thinking that's it and not eating it. Eat. <laughs> Taste and know that He is good. Dive into His grace. Believe His love. And then that will move you to become more loving because it will take your focus off of you and onto God and others. And then thirdly and finally, communion with God empowers the Spirit over our flesh. At age 30, um, you begin to lose as much as 3 to 5% of your muscle per decade. Most of us men lose 30% of our muscle over our lifetime. I believe it. I traveled this week, and it took me 20 minutes to get dressed this morning because nothing fit. I've got this pile of clothes in my room, and I'm like, gosh, I must have gained 10 pounds last week. Nothing fit. All you got to do is nothing to get unfit. It's true physically. It's also true spiritually. Doing nothing produces a lot of nothing. But here's the deal. I'm not calling us, this whole series is not calling everybody to try harder. We're calling you to train smarter. We're not calling you to exert all this effort. We're we're telling you to use that, put that effort over here. Put the effort toward God and His Word. I'm not even telling you to throw your phones away. But what I am telling you is you might want to get the Bible app and look at a psalm as much as you want to look at social media. Take a psalm in the morning. Literally, you can redeem this phone in your hand if you take a psalm in the morning and you just glance at it. You've got three seconds walking to a different class. You've got 
30 seconds. You know, you've got an hour for lunch. You're driving home. Don't be looking at it while you're driving home. Uh, maybe by that time you will have memorized part of it. But rehearse it in your mind. Rehearse it in your mind. Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Communion with the Father is an irreplaceable practice and power to defeating the natural drift towards self-centeredness and sin. Jesus didn't just go to the Father and say, take this cup from me. You notice the words before? Abba, Father, verse 36. He is coming to the God that is about to condemn him to hell. He's coming to the Father who is about to betray him. We might feel betrayed. He's the only one that genuinely was betrayed because he was innocent. And what does he do? He is still coming with the heart of love. Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, I see what's about to happen, and you can stop it, but not as I will, but as you will. Jesus communes with the Father and wins the victory over his own flesh. The disciples choose sleep, which empowers their flesh to betray Jesus. The Scriptures are constantly... John, um, not John, uh, Tim Keller coined this phrase, preach the gospel to yourself all day. And all he's saying is this. It's really just saying what the psalmist says. The Psalms, throughout the whole Old Testament... Um, the writers of the Old Testament command us to remember over 130 times, and most of them are in the Psalms. I love Psalm 106. We, we read Psalm 106, verse 7, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider or remember your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. What is the psalmist saying? Do you know what would have changed the reality and the course of the people of Israel if they simply would have remembered the wondrous works of God and the steadfast love of God? Do you want transformation in your life? Remember the wondrous works of God and celebrate it daily. Remember the steadfast love of God and celebrate it daily. Celebrate the contrast between His love and the lack of deserving it in your life. Celebrate the reality that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No sin, no death, nothing can separate you from the love of God because it is secured in the covenant reality of the sealed blood of Jesus. And it is finished. Constantly practice the steadfast love of God in your life. I was walking the streets of Denver this week doing this, remembering the moment, that time when in my conversion, everybody has their own story, but mine was a radical conversion. I was a, a, a ninth grader in high school. I'd just been cut from the basketball team. Basketball was my life. That's literally all I did was play basketball up to that point. Um, and yet I was cut from the Christian Brothers' ninth grade basketball team. I thought my life was over until I walked into a room 
in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and this man preached the message of, of salvation by grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit quickened my heart to life, and I literally walked out of that room. It, it was a Presbyterian youth group, and of course, there was no altar call. Uh, God just saved me, and I walked out of that room, and I had no idea what to do. I didn't know what happened to me. I was rejoicing on the streets of Denver this week, and even this morning as I walked by the Mississippi River, going over this sermon, remembering, oh, what would my life have been like? Where would Richard Reeves be today if God hadn't showed up? Oh, his steadfast love. When I wasn't even looking for him, I had a suitcase of alcohol in the ninth grade. That's all I wanted to do. And God said, oh, I've got something so much better. And it's forgiveness, and it's love, and it's grace, and it's mercy, and it's my presence in your heart and in your life. Remember His steadfast love. Rehearse His love. And it will produce faithfulness. And it will have power over your flesh. So here we are at the end of this series. <laughs> and I'd like to close it by simply giving you this analogy, came to me this morning. A lot of my life is lived by the Mississippi River, so I'm going to have to pull it in, and I've done this numerous times. But I'm blown away by how many times I get up and I'm either running by the Mississippi River. If you just go look at the river, it's kind of hard to miss. It's not a creek, okay? It is a big body of water, like huge, massive. And so many mornings, because it's just there, I will find myself with uh, my earbuds. Actually, my hearing aids have Bluetooth, so I, don't, I'm always, I always have Bluetooth earbuds in. People don't know what I'm listening to or even if I'm listening to them because uh, I can listen to anything. You don't even know it. So I'm going by the river. I'm listening to sermons, listening to music, or just turning everything off and thinking about the day, and it's amazing. I'll go three miles and never even look and see the river, which I'm about 10 feet from. And friends, I feel like that's where we live most of our lives. There is this thin veil of the presence and power of the living God. And all we have to do is tap into it. All we have to do is be still to listen, to mind His Word, but not just to, to go into His Word that we might experience Him, not that we might just simply accomplish a go, goal of reading the entire Bible in a year, but going to His Word and letting it, letting it nurture your soul, listening to God in the moment, crying out to Him. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is the one who hears our cry. All it takes... All it takes is to be still and to train in the way of listening and connecting with God through His gospel and His promises and the realities that He has presented to us in His Word. If downtown church will just do that, dear friends, the world is going to say, I don't know what these people have. I don't know what these people have, but I want it. Do you want it? Do you want Jesus? Do you want the presence of God in your life? 
Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you say, follow me. We thank you that you are calling us this morning to follow you. But it's not to that you because you depend on us to fulfill some great mission. It's because you want us. You want our hearts. You want our minds. You want our souls. You want us to experience that for which we've been created and that for which we've been redeemed. Oh, God, liberate us. Holy Spirit, would you fall down on us today? Would you, would you work among us right now? Those watching at home, oh, God, would you stop them in their tracks? Would you stop us in our tracks? And may we say, no longer will I live as I've been living. But, oh, God, may we train our hearts in the direction of you. May we practice the presence, your presence in our lives throughout each and every day. Oh, God, make it a reality. Bring revival to downtown church. Oh, we need you. God, change us, conform us, shape our minds after your love, shape our minds after your truth. Oh, God, show us there's a home to run to, there's a father to run to, and he's not like our earthly fathers. Oh, God, would you move among us and do mighty work? We beg you, and we do so in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. May we respond to the great love of God as we um, bring our tithes and offerings. There's a basket over here um, and baskets in the back since we're going out that door. Um, You can also text the number on the screen or you can go to uh, www.downtownchurch.com. Let's respond to the gracious love of God.